Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Silcox. In this week's edition of Insight, the news behind the news has left us dumbstruck, all out of luck, and something that rhymes with truck. It's good weather if you're a duck, but now it's Victoria's turn to feel the brunt of severe flooding. For two years, it's run amok, but the COVID-19 business interruption saga is finally over. And APRA may or may not have called RACQ a schmuck, but they are more supportive of the overall industry's woes. Hello, everyone. This week, we're in luck. I'm joined by senior journalists, Benice Han, Miranda Maxwell, Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh, and Editor John Deeks. Hello, Miranda. Good morning, Andrew. Did my introduction suck? Not for me to say. No comment. <laughs> Hi, Benice. Hi, Andrew. I was going to start today by saying the uh, ESL sucks. <laughs> it sure sucks for the insurers. <laughs> Hello, John. Hi. I fear my line of questioning might get stuck. Yes, I, I, I want to say I couldn't give a... <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and good morning, Wendy. Uh, good morning, Andrew. Are you in mourning for the BI test case? I was hoping the High Court would keep us going a little bit longer. I've never had an insurance uh, run from the test cases get through their gates. <laughs> yeah. Well, the test case saga is finally over, or... As he says with a maniacal laugh, is it, Wendy? Well, the High Court is the final avenue for appeal, and it said it's not interested in hearing the uh, the business interruption claims. So that does mean the decisions from the full court stand. So the saga is over from that perspective. But um, it's now a matter of claims that might have been on hold or hadn't yet come forward being finalised. While there's also four class actions have been on hold, so I have to see what happens with them. There's a shareholder class action against IAG on disclosure uh, still coming up. And there's a lot of scrutiny on the fact this whole test test case process was even necessary and and how things might be improved. So there's a a fair bit still rolling on around the whole thing. Do you think there will be lasting damage to insurers' reputations, John? Yeah, I think there probably will be, but whether that's fair is another another question altogether. I mean, if you if you think back to where this all started with test case one, it was down to a, a policy wording error that was in a lot of insurers' policies where they referred to an old piece of legislation when they were trying to exclude pandemics. Insurers lost that that case eventually. And um, that certainly won't do insurers' reputations any good. Uh, it's not a good look at all. But how much actual impact that that test case one has on claims, I'm not entirely sure. Test case two then came along to assess a whole range of broader issues, uh, like exactly what an outbreak means, the distance between the premises affected and 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 the COVID cases and all those kinds of things. Now, as we know, insurers won that 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 argument, but again, there might be a reputational issue around how come we have to go through a, a two-year court process just to figure out what policies cover. But I do think it's a bit unfair because, you know, this really was an unprecedented situation, wasn't it? We've never had to apply these circumstances to the insurer's policies before. So it probably was quite sensible that it that it all had to end up in the highest court in the land. But, yeah, people will find reasons to have a go at insurers about it, I'm sure. Well, Bernice, 
ASIC says it's keeping a close eye on insurers' pricing practices. This is another issue that's hanging around longer than insurers would want. Uh, yes, indeed, for sure. Um, so um, it's got to do with the industry's uh, failure to pass on promised premium discounts to customers. And just a brief recap, what really sparked this was ASIC taking court action last year against IAG um, for failing to honour the uh, discounts it promised to its customers. And that was in the region of about some $60 million. So um, ASIC Deputy Chair Karen Chester, um, who appeared before the House of Representatives Standing Committee on Economics last week, says the regulator is focusing, quote-unquote, very carefully on insurance pricing practices and that the regulator expects to have a report out early next year. So um, she says the insurers have undertaken the pricing reviews as ordered by ASIC, and 11 have given their reviews back to ASIC, um, taking the remediation tally to $760 million. So Ms. Chester says the insurers are now in the quote-unquote fixed and fine phase and repaying affected customers what they should have received, which is the promised premium savings. Yep, that she basically sums it up for the uh, the progress in this area. Well, APRA also had some harsh words for RACQ, didn't it? Uh, yeah, tough words indeed from the regulator, uh, prudential regulator last week. And this time it's to do with uh, risk governance lapses. So um, APRA announced last week that it has taken enforcement action against RACQ uh, after a review early this year uh, found significant weaknesses in uh, RACQ's risk governance framework. So the enforcement action applies to RACQ insurance and also RACQ bank. The APRA reviews list of concerns um, include risk and compliance framework practices, capability and capacity challenges within the risk functions and an immature risk culture. So APRA says the, it must approve the program that uh, RACQ has uh, developed and it has also ordered RACQ to engage a third party to provide independent assurance, the delivery of the changes and to provide periodic reporting to the uh, regulator. And this is not RACQ's first brush with regulators this year. Uh, in June, uh, it self-reported a breach through ASIC in relation to premium discounts. So um, the wordings in the PDS failed to adequately explain how the pricing will apply. So RACQ um, says it expects to refund about 200 to 220 million to its members. Yeah. Speaking of insurers' reputations, this won't help either, will it, John? No, and it, it seems to be affecting a, an awful lot of insurers. So it's not just uh, one or two, unfortunately. Um, no, I don't think it will help reputation because we, we put a lot of trust in insurers when they tell us what our premium is going to be, don't we? We don't we don't know the full breakdown, how they came to that figure. So when they tell us, you know, you've, you've got the right to this multi-policy discount or or this, that, and the other, we, we we rely on them to make sure that we are actually getting that. And it seems as though that wasn't always happening. I think a lot of it's down to systems. It's not anything deliberate. It's it's about systems and processes. But on, on the flip side, at least you can say the insurers are doing very thorough reviews into this, finding all the problems now and paying back the money. Well, on to the weather. Miranda, there's been more severe flooding over the past week. Yes, Andrew, I never thought I'd hear 1974 mentioned so often. All year we've been writing about the March floods in New South Wales and Queensland and last week it was the turn of the southeastern states to be whacked by La Nina. So we had some record river heights in Tasmania 
And in Victoria, rivers such as the Goulburn got above 12 metres for the first time in decades. And towns such as Forbes in New South Wales were evacuated too. There was some inner city flooding in Melbourne, in Maribyrnong. But thankfully, most of the areas away from actual rivers don't appear affected. While it's not going to be another $5 billion flood, whole towns have been pretty much underwater, such as Shepparton and Rochester, and thousands of homes have been inundated. The Insurance Council is calling it a significant event. That's a notch down from a catastrophe. And Suncor and IAG both have a bit over a 1,000 claims each so far, mostly in Victoria. Pretty much everyone is describing it as unfolding. It's really not over yet. We're getting up to 30 millimetres a day of rain into the weekend in some of these areas. And with all of the catchments virtually overflowing already, that is a real concern. So it's a bit of a case of watch this space at the moment and the emergency services and the government are throwing everything they can at it. Well, apparently one of the worst places for claims is uh, if you live near a horse racetrack. Can we expect this to carry on all summer long, Wendy? I think we'll have to be ready for that based on what the Bureau of Meteorology is telling us in the current conditions. I mean, a few weeks ago, they said we now have a third consecutive La Nina underway, and that's always a key driver of wet weather in Australia's eastern states. And um, the uh, climate influence in the Indian Ocean is also still contributing to the wet weather. And as Miranda says, the problem now is that the dams are full and rivers are high and the ground's saturated and it just won't take much rain for for, um, more flooding to happen. But, you know, we reported too that... um, you know, the Queensland government has lowered the level of the Wyvernhoe Dam near Brisbane, so it's got more capacity to deal with flood waters this summer if that's required. So, you know, that's the sort of thing, you know, people are really looking ahead to this going on for a bit longer. Should we all be moving to uh, West Australia? I don't know where it's safe. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wendy, um, you attended the NEBA Summit last week. Can you run us through some of the highlights there? Yeah, Financial Services Minister Stephen Jones was a headline speaker, so it was great that they had him there at such a critical time. And he spoke very supportively of the role of brokers. He said he didn't want to give a running commentary on the quality of advice review, but he did say that he hadn't seen a problem with brokers that needed to be fixed, so that sounded positive. So um, a lot of issues were touched on at the summit, including the importance of the new code of practice in driving professionalism and the need for brokers to keep pace with technological changes and to keep improving their specialist expertise to to help clients with some of these tough issues. NEBA CEO Phil Kewen also said that pushing for the removal of the New South Wales Emergency Services Levy is on the agenda for them and the ICA uh, ahead of the state election next March. Do you think the uh, message will get through on the uh, ESL, John? I'm going to be an optimist and say yes. I think the ICA and NEBA to a certain extent were very effective at lobbying before the federal election. They really got their messages through on on mitigation. And that was, of course, supported by the environment, you know, the floods happening. So the government just couldn't couldn't ignore what, what the ICA was saying. And it could be similar with this. You know, if the ICA and NEBA get together and 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 put together some really some really convincing messaging. We know there's an issue with affordability of insurance in New South Wales, particularly because of this levy. So will the state government be able to ignore this issue? Uh, I'm hoping not. Well, finally, John, we ran an AFCA determination last week involving an insured leaving her bath tap running. 
Tell us why this one caught your interest. Yeah, I thought this was a good one because to tell the story, first of all, lady left her bath tap running, the water overflowed and caused a fair amount of damage in the home. Now she put in an insurance claim with her home and contents insurer, but that claim was denied. And the reason was the insurer had just recently introduced an exclusion for that very circumstance. So the escape of liquid from any fixed item used to hold liquid due to overflowing as a result of a tap being left on was excluded. Now, as it turns out, the insurer had to pay in the end anyway, because they couldn't prove that they had told the insured that this exclusion had had been introduced. But it really got me to thinking about insurance claims where the claimant is at fault in some way. And it's it's a bit of a grey area, isn't it? Because some, some circumstances are excluded, others are not. So uh, in motor insurance, for example, you can be at fault in all sorts of ways and still have an insurance claim paid. But if you are reckless to a certain degree, uh, driving 180 in a 50 kilometre an hour zone, for example, another AFCA we had recently, then your claim wouldn't be paid. And with home insurance, there are there are gradations of <laughs> negligence as well. And, 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 and I guess if you leave a candle burning or you leave your chip pan on the stove and your house burns down, as I understand it, most insurers are going to pay that claim. But here we have an example where you leave your taps on and the bath overflows. And no, that's not supposed to be uh, paid according to the policy. So it's a really interesting issue, I think, in terms of how much insurers hold their customers to account for their own mistakes. And and I wonder whether maybe they'll be cracking down more on this sort of thing as the market continues to harden. I don't know. It's an interesting topic for debate, maybe. Yeah, the insured may have uh, some sinking feelings. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight Podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, Benice Han, Miranda Maxwell, John Deeks and Wendy Pugh. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, on all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week. Mm -hmm.